the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We have hope. Why do we have hope? Because Jesus Christ died and rose again. People who don't believe in Jesus Christ don't have any hope. They have nobody else who's gone through death into life. Living without hope. Mm, That can be a very empty existence. You're listening to another edition of Study Verse by Verse, a broadcast outreach of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno on the web at highlands.us. Our teacher is Pastor Leighton Sheely, and I'm Mike Trout. Pastor Sheely is uh, looking at the doctrines of the church, those foundational understandings that guide our faith and our Christian life. And we begin today with a very interesting question. Have you ever wondered when Jesus Christ is going to come back? I have. I've I've asked that question. And you know, I'm not the first one to ask that question. Uh, The disciples asked it in Matthew chapter 24. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus' answer was concerning that day and that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son but the Father only. And that's why it's always unwise to set dates or times for Jesus' return. Now, it's interesting that in that very same context, Jesus provided, he said, you don't know the day or the hour, but here's some signs to look for for the season of my return. And so in the summer of 2015, we as a church family took, I think, about six weeks to look through what Jesus said and what others said were going to be the signs of the return. And uh, one of the signs that Jesus mentioned is earthquakes. And Tom Parsons, a research geophysicist with the United States Geological Survey, the USGS, said we have recently experienced a period that it has one of the highest rates of great earthquakes ever recorded. The average rate of big earthquakes, that is those larger than magnitude 7, has been around 10 per year. And that has been up to 1979, but the average rose to 12 and a half, in 1992, 16.7 in 2010, and there was a massive increase in early of 2014 that more than doubled the average of 1979. There are more big earthquakes happening, and it's accelerating today. Jesus said that was one of the signs of his coming. You think things are happening in the world? Yeah, they're happening. They're happening. No one knows the day or the hour. But if we're paying attention, we should see the signs of the season. Jesus often spoke about his return. He said, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The theme of Jesus coming, his return, is mentioned throughout the New Testament and it is the dominant hope of the New Testament church. The scriptures say it's going to be dramatic, it's going to be visible, Revelation 1.7 says, every eye will see him. 
Uh, we are told that in the same way that he was taken up, he's going to appear. That means it's not going to be just a spiritual coming to dwell within people's hearts, but it's going to be personal and bodily in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. And it could be soon, very, very soon. And that's why Christians are trained, according to Titus chapter 2, to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this world, awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every Christian should be longing for Jesus' return. You know, when Christians get caught up in enjoying the things of this world and neglect joining together in genuine fellowship with other Christians and and neglect attention to their personal relationship with Christ, the less they long for His return. And in contrast, Christians who experience persecution, and there are many Christians today around the globe experiencing persecution, those who are elderly, infirm, or who daily walk with the Lord, are much more intense about their longing for Jesus to return. So then, the degree to which we actually long for Christ's return is a measure of the spiritual condition in our own lives. We're told to be ready for His return. That means being faithful and obedient in what He has called us to do, whatever He has called us to do. Anyone who claims they know the day and the hour of Jesus' return should automatically be considered in error. A few years ago, somebody did that. Actually, it was their third attempt. And there were people who emptied their savings accounts and sold their homes and participated in that. And when the day came and went and Jesus didn't come, there were a lot of people who were hurt as the result. Anyone who claims they know the day or the hour, they're in error. No matter how they differ in terms of the details, all Christians believe that Jesus Christ is coming to bring judgment and salvation. Christians do differ on some things about the return, like the millennium. That's that thousand years that's referenced. You know, some Christians are premillennial, some are postmillennial, some are amillennial. Um, and they differ on the Great Tribulation. Some people think that it already happened. Some people think it's happening. Others think it's going to happen. Um, The salvation of the Jewish people, because uh, there's a connection between that taking place and the return of Christ. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 9, chapters 9 through 11, about that. And I just want to give you some insight into that particular item, because you're not going to see this in a newspaper. In 1996, I had the opportunity to visit Israel. And I had a chance to visit with one of our missionaries, a young lady who grew up in our church who's been doing missions work there. And in the course of conversation, she said that if two or three people of Jewish descent uh, accepted Jesus Christ as their Meshua, their Messiah, their Savior, in a given week, it was cause for celebration. Two or three in a week. About 10 or 15 years later, I was at a gathering of pastors with Dr. Jack Hayford who announced that... Jewish people are receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord by the hundreds every week. And that was a long time ago. The point being is this is something you're not going to see in the newspapers, but it's one of the signs that are associated with the return of Jesus Christ. And by the way, with regards to the millennium and the tribulation, some people might ask, where's our church's position on that? And the founding pastor said it, 
and I agree with him. He, he, he describes our church's position as pan-millennial, meaning it will all pan out just as God has planned. So we're not pre, post, whatever. Um, now, that said, we may have people in our midst that are pre and others that are post, and we should enter into dialogue, discussion with one another. Why? Because it challenges us. Is what we believe really supported by Scripture. So it challenges us to get back in the Bible and dig down and find out what the Bible really says. It's a good thing. As long as it's a discussion, not a debate or a dissension or anything like that, we must not allow it to come to that point. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 provides a description of the scene of the return of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Let's stop right there. Uninformed. Aren't you glad that God doesn't want us to be uninformed about important things like dying? That He's provided us His Word. And asleep is a euphemism for dying. You remember that um, when Jesus announced to uh, His disciples that it was time to go and visit Lazarus, he, He described Lazarus as asleep. And his disciples said, that's good, Lord. He'll get well if he's sleeping. And Jesus had to say, no, no, not what, he's dead. So it's a euphemism for death. That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. We have hope. Why do we have hope? Because Jesus Christ died and rose again. People who don't believe in Jesus Christ don't have any hope. They have nobody else who's gone through death into life. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. What the apostle is saying is, this is from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, and with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Are you encouraged? You know, there's a similar, there are similarities between sleep and death. A sleeper does not cease to exist, and neither does someone who died. Um, a sleep, sleep is temporary. And so is death. Sleep has its waking, and death has its resurrection. It's interesting that the early Christians chose a very special word to describe the place where they buried their loved ones. And they used the Greek word koimaterion, from which we get the word cemetery. And it literally means a sleeping place, a hotel, a motel, an inn. You know, when you go to a hotel or motel, you expect to sleep for a while and then get up and go on the journey, continue the journey. And that's what they were communicating and choosing this word to describe the burying place of their friends and loved ones. The body of the believer has been put into a motel until the resurrection. And then one day Jesus Christ is going to return and that body is going to be raised up, caught up. It's going to be caught up from the Greek harpazo meaning to grasp hastily, snatch up, lift, transport, or rapture, from which we get the doctrine of the rapture. And it's going to be a very orderly procedure. 
the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Maybe the first of the dead will rise first. Maybe it'll be Stephen, the first martyr, followed by the apostles. And then those Christians of the early centuries, uh, like the ones that were killed by Nero. And then all throughout the centuries, and the largest group is going to be those saints that lost their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ in the last century. Because in the last century, more people were killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ than in all of the previous centuries put together. Do you struggle with any of the things you've just listened to from Pastor Leighton Sheely? This is a broadcast, by the way, entitled Study Verse by Verse. These are those foundational understandings of what the Scripture has to say to us, the the things we build our faith upon, our faith in Jesus Christ and the teachings of the Bible. And if you're having any difficulty, I encourage you to go back and listen to all of the messages in this series on the doctrines of the church. You can find them when you go to the website for the church, highlands.us, and then select on the next screen the sermons uh, option, the uh, the button there. That's highlands.us. This is a nonprofit outreach of the church heard at this same time here on this radio station with Pastor Leighton Sheely and I'm Mike Trout. Join us tomorrow if you can as we uh, wrap up the week and continue this series on the doctrines of the church, opening the Word of God and studying verse by verse.